welcome to the Redeemer 20 Sermon Podcast, where our goal is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. My name is Luke Dirks, and I'm your host, and I'm also privileged to lead the 20s ministry at Redeemer Church in beautiful Rockford, Illinois. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at our Thursday night gathering at 7 p.m. We hope you enjoy this, and we hope you also join us at a future Thursday. I met with the life group. Uh, we had our life group over last night, and uh, the general consensus as we went around the room was that it had been too long. <laughs> we all missed each other, and so I feel that even just with Thursday nights. Um, it was so nice to have the break. It was fun to see family and all those things, but man, I missed 20s, and so it's super exciting to be here. Uh, even last week, we were gone. I was at a conference in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. I know Brock was there with me, I know Hayden was there with me, Matthew was there with me, and then I know there was another group that came out, and it was just, it was really an amazing experience, and so the reason I bring it up is if you ever get the chance to go to CrossCon, that's what they call it, CrossCon, if you ever get the chance to go, I highly recommend it, uh, and keep your eyes open because we may or may not be going as a ministry in the years to come, so I think there's something so important about sitting on, under godly preaching, um, even though we are doing that here all the time, it's so refreshing to hear somebody else speak the truth of God. And it just blows my mind that you can be like learning something, that God can be teaching you something again and again and again in his word, and then somebody else says the exact same thing, and it just clicks for the first time. You're like, oh, that's what you're trying to tell me. And so I think there's a huge benefit to that. But uh, needless to say, I, I really walked away encouraged and excited to preach and Uh, As you all know, this is the first sermon that I get to preach as the 20s pastor. And so it is a privilege. I am uh, excited. And coming into it, the scripture that has been on my heart is 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, I'm not going to preach from that tonight. But in that passage, the apostle Peter, um, he has an exhortation for the leaders of the church. And here's what he says. Shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to them uh, for the flock. And so that is Peter's summary of what it means to be a pastor. And really, it's been on my heart a lot this week because those are now my marching orders for you, uh, in regards to you. And so I am now called by God in his grace to shepherd this flock Uh, the 20s ministry, to provide oversight for it, and to be an example for you all of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And uh, what is humbling about that for me as I've thought about it, it's two things. The first is that the elders of this church would trust me with this task. It's very humbling. I'm very thankful for them. (laughs) And so it is really an honor just to get to stand here and to open up God's word and to speak from it, um, representing even them. But beyond that, the thing that humbles me far more uh, is the thought that I will be held accountable before God for how faithful I am to the task. Uh, James chapter 3, verse 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers. My brothers, he's speaking to, to pastors, and he says, For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And so more than ever, I just feel that on me. <laughs> On my shoulders, Uh, I will be judged for how I teach and how I lead this ministry. And I think the thought should fill me and anyone who would step into ministry with a healthy level of fear because we are not perfect men. (laughs) Uh, Pastor JT, 
Pastor Gabe, Pastor Garrett, Perry, even Pastor John. None of us are perfect men. There's only one of those, and his name is Jesus Christ. And so until we go to be with him, or until he comes back to get us, uh, we as leaders will feel the weight of needing help to lead our ministries. And I think that's a need we can all understand. Uh, God may not be calling you to vocational ministry, the way he's called me to it, but each of us still has a mission from Christ. And you can find it in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus said to them, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If you are a believer in Christ, that is your mission and that is your responsibility now. It doesn't matter uh, if you're an introverted person. Uh, I know there are a lot of you here. It doesn't matter if you're an extroverted person. I know there's a lot of you here. And it really doesn't matter whether you're on fire for Jesus or just treading water for Jesus. Regardless, to be a believer means that you are on mission to win others to Christ. Do you believe that? Jesus has given us, Christians, the mission of glorifying his name. If you were to summarize, what does it mean to be a believer? It means you glorify God. How? Through preaching the good news, through telling the good news of Jesus Christ to people who desperately need it. That is our task. But here's the problem with that. You are all like the pastors of this church, and you are not perfect people. Believe me, I've been at uh, 20s long enough to know it is true. I love you all, but you're not perfect. And you already know that's true of me. None of us has it all figured out or put together, and that is why we can get discouraged about our mission for Christ. Sharing the gospel is not an easy thing to do. If it was, everyone would be doing it. But that just isn't the case. More often than not, our weaknesses and our insecurities push us away from the spiritual conversations that God is calling us to step into by faith. Whether that's at work for you, uh, at school maybe, in the home, uh, at the gym, with close friends, whatever that may look like, we have a tendency to back away from sharing Christ with the people around us. And the reason why, if we're honest, is because we're afraid. We're afraid we're not enough or that we don't know enough of our Bibles to share it effectively. Uh, we're afraid that we're not good enough Christians yet. Uh, we're worry, we worry that we're not good enough communicators, maybe. And even beyond that, we're just worried we're going to blow it and lose the relationship with someone that we really care about. It's similar to what Moses felt uh, when God called him to lead the people of Israel at the burning bush. That's a great passage. One, it would be cool to see the burning bush. I've seen a lot of them, but I've never seen one stay, you know, tangible for a while. So that'd be cool. But God speaks to Moses, which is cooler, and he gives him this mission, and he says, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. And uh, <laughs> Moses has a ton of excuses, but here's the one that I love. He says, oh, my Lord. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, I'd probably say that too. <laughs> oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. I mean, just imagine trying to use this excuse with your, like, comms professor. 
It's like, you have a speech due today. You're like, oh, my Lord, <laughs> I am not eloquent in speech. Don't make me do it. It doesn't work that way. That's not a valid excuse. Moses was letting his fear get in the way of God's mission. And I understand that fear. I felt it probably just as much as any of you. But that does not make it a valid excuse to abandon what God has called us to. We don't get to jump ship when the waves of the sea get a little choppy. God calls each of us to his mission. And so the question becomes, how can we press forward? And what is it that can take us from fear and anxiety to joy and peace and strength when we think about sharing the gospel with the people around us? And so in our passage for this evening, uh, Jesus Christ gives the answer. In John chapter 14, the hope that Christ offers to his disciples is that he will not leave them alone on this mission. That's what he has to say tonight to us. They won't be alone. Even as he's preparing to go to the cross, Jesus promises to give his disciples a helper who will overcome their weaknesses so that they can boldly proclaim the gospel. And for us today, that matters because the promise still applies. The Holy Spirit is still living, and the Holy Spirit is still active today. And so my title for this sermon is Our Helper. And the main point I want to get across, if you were to take one thing away, this would be it. It's that for those found in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is our helper. And because Christ has given us this helper, we can trust that our gospel efforts will not be in vain. So if you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, then your gospel efforts will not be in vain. That is the promise. And as I step into my role as the 20s pastor and as I step into this position where I am called to shepherd you, that is the truth I want to grip your heart. That God has given you an, a helper who is going to come alongside you and fire up your conviction, your passion, and your desire to go to the people around you and share the gospel. It doesn't matter how weak uh, or how, you know, pathetic our attempts might feel when we're sharing the gospel. All the same, I want us to believe that they are not in vain because God himself is working through us for the purpose of his glory. And also, I want you to see that it's for your joy. The purpose of sharing the gospel is God's glory, which is the believer's joy. And our greatest joy will come as we step into that purpose. So that's where we need to begin as a ministry this year. And with that in mind, I want to read the text for us and dive in to that hope. And so uh, I'm going to start, start uh, in verse 15, and then I'm going to go through to the end. And so if you have your Bibles, I think you're all there. Are you there? Okay. Then I'm going to read it for us. Starting in verse 15, Jesus says to his disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you." 
Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And Judas, not Iscariot, (laughs) I love that. Imagine that being your life. Judas, not Iscariot. He said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This passage ends the upper room discourse between Jesus and his disciples. And so immediately after this, we'll see next week, they're going to start making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And very quickly, they are going to find themselves in the Passion narrative. And Jesus is going to die on the cross. And so here, Jesus has some words of closing to give to them. Uh, And if you remember from our last time meeting, I know it has been a while, but Brendan preached. And he taught on the first half of John chapter 14, where Jesus told his disciples that he is the way the truth, and the life. And to understand this passage that I just read, there are two things we need to be aware of from what Brendan was teaching on. The first is that Jesus told his disciples that he would soon leave to prepare a place for them. He says that in verses 2 and 3. He said, I'm going away soon. And in the context of Jesus leaving, the second thing Jesus told them is that they and anyone who believes in him would do greater works than he did. And uh, Brendan did an awesome job of highlighting this. But when Jesus said the disciples' work would be greater than his own, he was not saying that they would be greater in quality, but greater in quantity. It's impossible for anyone to do a greater work than Christ. You know, he's the one who accomplished salvation on the cross. So clearly he's not saying, oh, disciples, what you will do uh, is going to be greater than what I did uh, qualitatively. That's not what he's getting at. Instead, he is saying that they would do even more works than he did. And that makes sense because his ministry was only three years long. After he leaves, the disciples are the ones who will be responsible for the spread of the gospel. And that is their greater work. And we need to understand that if we want to make sense of any of our passage. uh, Because the whole thing is built on encouraging the disciples in their newly assigned mission. That's the purpose of our text. And I just want us to put ourselves in the disciples' shoes here for a second. I want you to imagine being either a scruffy fisherman or a recovering tax collector. And after following Jesus for three years, 
all of a sudden you hear him say, I'm leaving, and now you are responsible to take my message further than I ever got it. Excuse me? <laughs> it's like, whoa, okay. I mean, when you think about it that way, it makes complete sense why the disciples would be troubled, why they would be afraid. They're a band of misfits, and they are now tasked with transforming the entire world. And of course, they're going to be afraid. And that's why Jesus has to, stay, uh, he has to say to them in verse 27 of our text, he says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Why does he say that? Because that's what they're feeling. They're hearing that, okay, I'm now responsible to send the gospel out, and that's troubling because I am a, a fisherman, and I'm also afraid. They're scared. And uh, what is the reason that Jesus gives them to put away this fear? Well, he tells them about the helper. The Holy Spirit is what encourages God's people to carry out the mission. And I want to spend the rest of our time looking at why that is. What, what was it about the Spirit that would encourage the disciples in their mission to spread the gospel? And why should he encourage us as we try to do the same as a ministry? And so starting with point number one, uh, we should be encouraged because the Spirit is a conditional helper. He's a conditional helper. And uh, that may sound strange, but the first reason Jesus gives us to be excited about missions is the fact that the Spirit has been conditioned for us. It's a condition for us to receive him. And I take that from verse 15. If you look at it, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. And so when you read that, I hope you see it's conditional language. If blank, then blank. If blank, then blank. But what does Jesus mean by this? Is he conditioning the promise of the Holy Spirit on our obedience? Is he saying that we must do the work of loving him and obeying, and then the Spirit will help us? No. I mean, we know that can't be true. It goes against everything the Bible teaches us. We see that salvation in Scripture, including the gift of the Spirit, is by grace through faith alone. It's not by works. So what does this actually mean then? That if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Well, the key comes from the verb tense of this passage. And so I know a lot of you are probably like me. You're not grammar people, uh, but you have to become a grammar person if you want to understand the Bible. And that's just how it is. Because in this passage, when you look at verse 15, what unlocks the meaning of it is the fact that Jesus speaks in the future tense and not in the imperative. So future tense, what will happen. Imperative, what must happen, what you must do. And notice that when Jesus speaks, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He doesn't say, if you love me, you must keep my commandments, and then I'll give you the Spirit. The difference between those two is astronomical because it means that Jesus is not giving a command in verse 15. Instead, he is outlining the natural process that takes place at salvation. So those who are brought to saving faith in Jesus Christ, he's saying, will inevitably love him. There's nothing you can do to change that. Once you are saved, you will love Jesus. Out of that love, you will inevitably obey his commandments. Not perfectly, we all know that's true, but we will obey them. And the reason why is because they will no longer be a burden to you. 
1 John chapter 5 talks about this. It says his commandments are no longer burdensome. And why can that be true? Well, it's because we no longer obey the law to deliver ourselves from judgment. But rather, we obey the law because we have already been delivered from judgment. That is the Christian approach to the law. It becomes our joy to obey God's commandments because Christ has already obeyed them for us. Anything else is legalism and it can't get you into heaven. But this is what Jesus even says in this text. If you jump all the way down to verse 31, he says, But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. What is Jesus saying? I'm going to obey him perfectly. That's why he's going to the cross. And because he does that, when we trust in him, it says that we are covered in his righteousness. And so the good news is that the Holy Spirit is conditioned on obedience. It just isn't ours. It's conditioned on Christ's obedience. And so how wonderful is that to know that we do not have to earn the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of things you have to work for in life. The Holy Spirit is not one of them. Does that fill your heart with joy when you think about that as a believer? Christ alone is the one who guarantees the gift of his Holy Spirit for us. And because of that, we don't have to worry about earning his help. We don't have to think, oh, Holy Spirit within me. Was I nice enough to my roommate this morning? Or did I do the dishes on time? Or did I read the Bible long enough? Or did I pray long enough? None of that happens. You get to wake up and have the confidence, no, he's mine. Because God has already accomplished what I could not. It's good news. And it only gets better because not only is the Spirit a conditional helper, he is also a personal helper. And this is my second point. And I think this one's really important. And so I want you to, to lock in on this because in our culture today, it has be, become very popular to think of God as a mystical power or some kind of just undefined, you know, thing out and around us. Some kind of energy. I mean, really, to a lot of people, God is just out there, right? He's, he's like the force with all the midichlorians floating around and just kind of moves things, but he's not personal at all. That is God to our world. And the danger of that is that we would allow the same idea to bleed into our faith to the point where we start treating the Holy Spirit more like the force than we do a divine person of the Holy Trinity for what he truly is. When we look at the Bible, there are two very different views that you find. There are those who, who view the Spirit blasphemously, which is really what that would be, to define him as a force or as anything else. And then those that are righteous and orthodox and true, which is that he is a person. And the issue is that if you view him as a force, one, it's heretical and it's blasphemy against God, but two, it will leave you searching for a spiritual uh, sense of some force within you when you should be calling out to a person. There's such a difference between that. Me trying to seek deep within, okay, what is going on, versus God help me. And you have a lot of people who are looking within, trying to figure out what's going on when they should be on their knees asking for help. Two very different things. And uh, Scripture makes this very clear to us, that the Holy Spirit is, is not a force or a principle of nature. In Luke chapter 12, we see that he teaches. The Holy Spirit teaches. In Acts chapter 13, he speaks. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26, the Spirit intercedes. 
And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, we see that the Spirit can even be grieved. Those are things that only a person can do. And so that is how Jesus describes the Spirit in our text. In verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. And the term for that is, is parakletos. And it can be translated as counselor, uh, advocate, helper, uh, encourager, comforter. And it comes from the verb parakaleo, which means to call alongside or to encourage someone or, or to exhort someone. It's a personal word. And it describes a personal being. Again, the Holy Spirit is one of three persons in the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is no less than the Father in his person. He's no less than the Son in his person. He is equally glorious, equally divine, and equally a personal being. And I can't stress that enough. Because what that means for us, if it's true, is that we will never be alone as followers of Jesus Christ. And just think about that. Never alone, never forgotten, never abandoned, never unknown, always held, always joined in fellowship. You have an eternal traveling buddy, someone who's always there with you. That is the promise of the Holy Spirit as our personal helper. And I think just to show you how important this is, I want you to imagine that you're 10 years old again. And I want you to think, uh, just imagine with me, if we're all 10, we're all going on vacation, and your parents have chosen to go to the Rocky Mountains, and you're excited, and you're all going to go on a hike, but it's evening. So you get going, uh, you're hiking away, and all of a sudden, you know, your family wanders off, and you're stumbling, and it's getting dark, and suddenly you stop, and you realize that you are completely alone in the woods, in the mountains, and it is now dark. Think of this at 10 years old. You look on the edge of your vision, and it seems like every twig is moving. You start listening, and you, you, you could swear to yourself, you know, you're hearing some kind of monster or a bear. Something's there. It's going to get you, and you're terrified. In that moment, do you want the force with you, or would you rather have your dad? Would you rather have someone there by your side who's going to help you? There's a world of difference. Having some kind of mystical being doesn't really give you a lot of hope. But when you know that whatever you're stepping into, God Almighty, the person of God, the Holy Spirit is there with you as your personal helper, there's a lot of hope that comes out of that. The personal presence of God is a great comfort to believers in moments of fear and of doubt. And when you're on mission to share the gospel, it can be nerve-wracking. Like, you can psych yourself out so easily. I've had this happen I'm like, okay, I'm going to like ask this question, and then I'm walking towards them. Oh, they just walked left, and you're thinking through all these different details. Of how am I going to approach this? How am I going to do this the right way? And it's helpful to know, okay, at least it's not just me. At least I know there's someone here by my side guiding me through it. That's part of our strength, is knowing we're never alone in evangelism. We have an advocate stepping into gospel conversations with us. He is a personal helper and he is God. So take courage in that. I even think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What is it that got them encouraged and joyful and excited as they stood in the fire? It was the fact that there was somebody else in it with them. It was having God by their side. And now, because of what Christ has done on the cross, we get to have that promise all the time, no matter what, 
The world can't do anything about it. God's with you. God does not abandon his people in their mission, and it's a great hope for us. And it's one that only gets better because not only is the Spirit a personal helper, he is also an eternal one. And this is my third point. And I take it from verse 16. Jesus says to them, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. I love that. (laughs) As I was meditating on it, I was just looking at that one word, forever. He doesn't say, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit for a moment. I'll give you the Holy Spirit for a season of life. I'm not going to give him for for several years. No, Jesus says, this spirit, my spirit, will be yours forever. And that is an incredible statement when you think about it. I found the, the Heidelberg Catechism very helpful in unpacking it. If you look at it in question 53, the Catechism asks, what is it that you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? And the answer is that first, he is together with the, with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. But second, that he is also given to me to make me, by true faith, share in Christ and all his benefits to comfort me and to remain with me forever. Let's put it very simply. When Jesus offered this gift to his disciples saying, I'm going to send you a helper. What he was telling them is that this same Holy Spirit would remain in them for all of eternity. Have you ever considered that? That after we are glorified and with Christ, the Holy Spirit will continue his work of applying the benefits of Christ and uniting us together forever. We don't lose the Holy Spirit when we go into heaven. He's always with us. And I think living in light of the New Testament, it's easy to take this promise for granted. But the Old Testament saints would have given anything to hear these words from Jesus. Anything. And just think how overjoyed King David would be to hear these words. In Psalm 51, it records his his prayer of repentance after he was caught for murdering Uriah and after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. His child died, and because of his sin, all of these things were going on, and here's what he had to say. He said, God, do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. He was concerned in his sin about one main thing, Losing the Holy Spirit. Because in the Old Testament, that could happen. King Saul lost the Holy Spirit. It was given to him and then taken away. And David was terrified that because of his sin, the same thing would happen. But because of this promise, we never have to experience that same fear. That's awesome. Doesn't matter how broken you are. Doesn't matter how bad you messed up or even how greatly you are grieving the Holy Spirit, he will still not be taken away from you if you have believed in Christ. I love how Kevin DeYoung explained this. Speaking to the eternal nature of the Spirit, he says, In heaven, the Spirit will continue to keep us holy. He will continue to teach us more about the inexhaustible riches of Christ He will continue to be the personal bond that unites believers in fellowship. And he will continue to minister to us the presence of God the Father and God the Son, who together with the Holy Spirit are triune God, blessed forevermore. Amen. 
There is a lot of hope to be found in this promise. For all of eternity, the Holy Spirit's work will be to minister God's presence to us. And that is the same presence where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. That's his work. And he's doing it now. But even in eternity, we will have the Holy Spirit. And that's good news for those who are in Christ. I think it's something we should rejoice in. Like meditate on that. If you are a discouraged person and you're like, man, I'm just kind of down in the dumps this week. Well, guess what? You get to have the Holy Spirit forever. And you will experience an unending joy that is beyond your imagination. And God himself will show intentionality in applying it to your heart. It's like, okay, I guess I can't be upset. (laughs) It's like whatever the world has to throw at me, that is a good hope to cling to. But the sobering reality of it is that it's not true of everyone. And this is what leads me to my fourth point, which is that the Holy Spirit is also an exclusive helper. In verse 17, Jesus goes on to say, The Father will give another helper, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. In other words, he's saying that the Holy Spirit is only given to people who believe in Jesus Christ. And so unless you are saved from your sins by faith in the life and death and resurrection of Christ, it is impossible to receive the Holy Spirit. His benefits, his comforts, his presence, all are denied to the unbeliever. And this piggybacks off of my first point, but I think it's worth noting Because the world has championed this false message that is condemning people to eternal judgment. And it's that all good people go to heaven. Here's the problem. There are no good people. There's only sinners and sinners who are forgiven. And as we learned from the last sermon that Brendan talked on, there's only one way to the Father. It is through the Son as His work is applied to us by the Holy Spirit. All three persons of God take Act, they act together in the work of salvation. It's a Trinitarian work. And what that means for us is that without faith in Christ, it's impossible to be forgiven, and it is impossible to enter the glory and bliss of heaven. All that waits for us is judgment and fire apart from Jesus, because that's what we deserve. And what that shows us is that when we receive the Holy Spirit, it is an exclusive gift. It is not given to all. And for those who are here and do not know Christ, I would be in sin if I did not say this, (laughs) that apart from the gospel, you will be justly condemned for eternity. That is a weighty thing. But the good news is that Jesus Christ freely offers salvation, even now. I love the different hymns that talk about Christ as the one who satisfies the justice of God. The just satisfying the justice of God by taking our place for sin and bearing our punishment on the cross. That is what Christ has done. And if you believe in him and you bend the knee to the king and you submit your whole life to him, that's what it means to believe, repent, turn, submit. The Bible says you will be saved. And part of that salvation (laughs) is that you will receive the Holy Spirit. And so our helper is exclusive to those who are in Christ. And really, when I think about that, I was like, how does that apply, the the Spirit not being given to all? Well, really, it should just lead us to be grateful. I mean, looking to the business world, one of the mantras that you find 
uh, is that exclusivity drives demand. So if you're like ever in business, exclusivity drives demand. So the less there is of something, uh, the more it drives people to think it's valuable because they want to get a hold of it because no one else has it. And uh, as I was thinking about things in our lives that kind of fit that mold, what came to my mind was the, the original 20s hoodies. Those who are OG know about this. You'll see them floating around from time to time. There are these green hoodies, and they say H2O, back from when uh, 20s uh, Redeemer was Harvest. So it's Harvest 20s. And these things are coveted in this ministry. I am your pastor. I don't even have one. Like, I don't even know what you have to do to get one of these. I, you just had to be around, right? They bring a level of clout. They bring a level of prestige with them. And the reason why is because not everyone has one. Not everyone has one, and so they're valued. And I would argue that the same is true of the Holy Spirit. He is exclusive, and he is a treasure to be prized and praised. And that's the application. Do you praise God for the gift of his Holy Spirit? Do you treasure him above all the material things that this world could offer you? God has given us a helper that kings and rulers have longed for and one that the world cannot understand. Only those who have been saved, who are being saved, and who will be saved get to experience the help of the Holy Spirit. And so for those of us who have been brought into that, we should be overjoyed. We should be thankful. We should wake up and pray, God, thank you that your spirit did not leave me last night because I am a wretch. I love Martin Luther. There's this whole thing going on when, when Lutheranism, like Lutherans started to pop up. People who were claiming the name of Luther as his cult following. You know, you know what he told them? He said, you should call yourself a Christian because I am a bag full of maggots. I was like, yeah, that's awesome. Like, you imagine if one of the teleprompter, like, TV pastors got up and said, do not claim my name, but only Jesus. I am a bag of maggots. That's us. All of us. If you peel open my heart, what do you find? Sin. Maggots. It's filthy. Why would God leave his Holy Spirit there? Because of Christ. And so it's an exclusive thing that we should be thankful for. And it's a good thing because through this help, we are then made effective in our mission. And this brings me to my last point, which is that the Holy Spirit is a profitable helper. Uh, if you've been paying attention, I've only made it through the first three verses of our text so far. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to be able to get to all the rest. I kind of got lost in those first three, and it was joyful. Um, and we're going to have another chance to talk about the Holy Spirit when we hit chapter 16. But with the time that we have left, I want to summarize the rest of this text by highlighting the Spirit as our profitable helper. Our profitable helper. He is a great benefit to our ministry. He is the strengthening agent, the mighty ally in our conflict, and he is the fuel for the fire of our faith. <laughs> that is what the rest of this passage has to say. Uh, we could spend ages in it, but really what this reveals to us is that through the Spirit, God manifests himself to us. The Almighty God and the Holy God who we could not approach without being incinerated. Like God had to hide his, his, his own face from Moses, lest Moses just be evaporated. That same God is said to make his home with us and to dwell within us. 
And that comes in verses 18 uh, through 24. And really what this speaks to is the joy of the union we experience with Christ through the Spirit. Where that now, as we believe in Christ, there is this miracle that takes place. One that you can lose yourself and just be enraptured by as you think about it. It's the fact that through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we believe in Christ, we are now brought into union with our Savior. And the best illustration that we can come up with in earthly terms is the idea of marriage, of a man and a woman becoming one. And that images what has happened to us at a far greater level with our Savior, where that now, as I am unified to Christ, even though I am a bag full of maggots, when God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of his Son. All the victories that Christ has won are now my victories. All the blessings that he achieved are now applied to me. All of these things happen through our union, and it says the Holy Spirit is the one who accomplishes it. I love that. Verse 21 says, whoever, well, yeah, verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. And obviously Judas, not Iscariot, is like, well, how are you going to do that without the world seeing you? And he says, well, we will come and we will make our home within that person. That's awesome. That's what it means to abide, to dwell. God comes and he makes his home in us. I mean, I host 20 guys, 20s guys all the time, so I know what this looks like. They come and they make their home with my home. <laughs> and I come downstairs. This is one of my favorite things. I'll take naps on Sundays because uh, I'm exhausted. And sometimes I'll do that in my room and I'll just come downstairs and they all like look at me. And then I'm like, you're still here. <laughs> and it's just joyful. They've made their home in my home. And in a greater sense, God comes and he makes his home in our hearts. And we get to house him. And it is a joyful thing because he's our God and we're with him. And it's what was meant to be. That's what he does. And as that union happens, it then supercharges our evangelism. And this is what it says in verses 25 through 27. Jesus says, The Spirit will teach us all things and bring to remembrance all that he has said in his word. And following that in verse 27, he says that he will give us peace. And so what does the Holy Spirit do as we are unified to Christ? He brings to remembrance the word of God. He teaches us what it means and he fills our hearts with peace. That's his work. And it empowers us for life and for the task of ministry. And the illustration I was told recently, I think it's a good one, is the idea of an electric car. And we are the electric car. So imagine, you're a Tesla, or if you're cool, you're a Rivian, or, or something along those lines, if you know what that is. Um, but imagine, you're, you are the engine of that vehicle. And you don't run off of oil, you run off of a battery. And the Holy Spirit is the electricity that travels from the battery into the engine and gives you the ability to move. Without the Holy Spirit, the car goes nowhere. Uh, without the, the Holy Spirit, evangelism goes nowhere. <laughs> and without the Holy Spirit, the mission of Christ goes nowhere. But with the Holy Spirit, the gospel spreads and it remains unconquered. Amen? He is our profitable helper. And in our lives, he enables us to do the things that we cannot accomplish on our own. That is the hope that the disciples were told to hold on to, and now it is our hope in this day. 
And so do not be afraid to share the gospel with people around you. God conquered the world using a band of misfits, and he's still in the business of using misfits, which is good news for this group. So we can trust, we can trust that he will use us as we share in the same spirit as the disciples. And he's going to enable those conversations as you step into them by faith. And so as we close, I thought it'd be fitting. First sermon, I had to go to Lord of the Rings. There was no chance I wasn't. And uh, what came to my mind is there's this incredible scene uh, in The Return of the King. I love it. And it's where the armies of Mordor, all the hordes and the orcs and, you know, the trolls, all the forces of evil are coming to destroy the city of Minas Tirith. And they know that they are outnumbered and they are guaranteed to be destroyed. But Gandalf is with them and he has the idea to send one of the hobbits to light a beacon that is standing on top of the city uh, and he's to light it on fire. And so Minas Tirith is this huge city. It's beyond anything like we would imagine. And it's built into the side of the mountain. And so at the top, there's this huge bonfire. And, and the hobbit, I think it's Pippin. Someone fact check me on that. All right, it's Pippin. Pippin lights it. And so you see it. And all of a sudden, the, the camera pans out as the flame grows. But then as it's panning out, you see miles off in the distance on another mountain, another flame lights. And as that one lights, the camera follows it. And it's one of the coolest shots in any movie I've ever seen. And it goes from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop. The flame travels as one uh, guardian sees it. It goes miles across the land all the way to a mountain that stands above the city of Rohan to the nation. And as it lights, King Aragorn is there and he he sees the beacon of Gondor. And he runs because King Theoden is there with his troops. And he yells at him. He says, the beacons are lit. He says, Gondor calls for aid. And Théoden looks at him and he says, and Rohan will answer. This is, oh, the music swells. The armies gather. It's so sick. And then they go and they aid Gondor in the moment of war and they wipe out evil. And as I thought about that, I said, you know what's awesome about being a Christian? There's no beacon to light. There's no calling for aid and having to wait as it goes from telegram to telegram until it finally gets to God. We call for help, and the Spirit, He just answers immediately. There's no having to wonder, is He going to arrive on time? God, this moment came up to share the gospel. It was not in my plans. I'm not ready. I don't have any time to send out word for help, to text someone, to, to ask for advice. I don't have any of that. I have you. I call for aid. God will answer. That is our hope. And so knowing that, we can share our faith more boldly. And for you, God is calling you to that. Wherever that may be, I don't know, but he does. He's calling you to, to step up to that mission and to glorify him by doing it in faith. You're going to mess up. You're not going to say it perfectly. None of us do. But it's sharing Christ. It's saying he lived he died, he rose again, and guess what? He did it for you. And as we do that, I think that God will transform Rockford. I believe he will do a great work. And it starts here. I want this ministry to be the example to the rest of our church. That's, that's what God calls for young people to do. If you look at Titus, I love it. It's in all these other books, <laughs> you just kind of look at them and it says, older people counsel the young, and then young people, it says, 
like, well, to the young men, be self-controlled, but then two, set an example. Paul is always telling young people, set the example. So let's do that this year as we step in, and may it be that years from now, when we are all gone and out of 20s, may it be that we have left an impression so that the gospel is still being proclaimed here well past our time. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you uh, for this precious truth that you have given us a helper in our time of need. God, we call for aid. <laughs> Even now, Lord, I just ask that your spirit would, would move powerfully. God, I pray that you would strengthen us um, to share your gospel and to take the mission seriously. Lord, you want us to glorify your name by telling people around us about Jesus. And when we are reminded of what Christ has done, the answer, the, the, the statement, the question becomes not, can I do it, but when can I do it? <laughs> I can't come fast enough to share the gospel. And I pray that would grip my heart. I pray that would grip everyone here, that, Lord, we would love you and we would want to see your name increased and we would lean into your Holy Spirit as we do that work. God, we are weak. We're like your disciples, but even worse. A lot of the times, God, we are sinful and we don't know your word as much as we need to. God, help us to step into those things. God, to pursue a holiness, to study your word, but then, Lord, to take the step of faith and say, even still, you can use me because your Holy Spirit resides in my heart. God, we thank you for that gift. I thank you that you have given us your spirit. You have not abandoned us. You have not left us. You are with us always. God, I pray for anyone here who is discouraged, Lord, who feels as if they've been abandoned, as if they are alone. God, remind them they are not. Lord, even if this entire world were against them, you are with them so long as they are in Christ. And so, God, I pray that everyone here would put their faith in your son that, God, you would break the pride of our hearts, which so often gets in the way. Lord, help us to bend the knee to our King. He is worthy. He's worthy of our, our lives and our praise, and that's what we want to give to Him. And so I pray, Lord, be glorified in the 20s ministry. God, be glorified in our lives. And when we sing, God, would it be pleasing to you as we worship, not just from our tongues, but, Lord, from our hearts. As we exalt the name of our Savior, God, we want to do this all the days of our life. And it is but a foretaste even now of what will come when we are with you forever. And so come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, I pray. And until that day, Lord, let us be faithful. I pray this all in your Son's name. Amen.